We believe to ride and run is freedom and empowerment. We believe riding and running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people were physically active, the world would be a better place. We believe in physical activity because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast with your host, Dave Martinez. And welcome to the Big Peach Ride and Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Dolomite Martinez. You can call me D2. And before we dive into this great topic and subject you know, about adventure racing, um, I want to share you know an event that that I you know I think is going to be a lot of fun. I'll be out there participating as well, and it's a great way to support the community. But it's called the Bearings Bike Along, and it supports the work that Bearings Bike Works uh, is doing. So if you're not familiar with Bearings, they're an organization that started up a, a kind of a shop, a small shop, and they now have a bigger, nice location. Um, but what they've done is they take older bikes, bikes that have been donated, bikes that, you know, um, maybe are in disrepair, and they fix them up. But they also allow kids to earn those bikes, um, these young, uh, you know, kids to to work towards getting a free bike that they can use for, you know, whether it's commuting to school, for exercise, because we all know that, you know, physical activity is, is something that's, you know, uh, great for, you know, just m- mentally and physically. Um, and so they're able to kind of earn their these bikes through working uh, with bike um, bearings and, you know, learning some skills learning some things that are going to prepare them for later in life. This is what bearing is doing. And some of these actually, uh, these, you know, kids end up working within the bike industry becoming a shop mechanic, even here locally within the Atlanta area. Um, we're looking at this as a potential talent pool for our bike shops as well. So, you know, trying to, you know, uh, help these kids, you know, move into a, a career, um, within the bike industry. And this is a, a fundraiser called Bearings Bike Along. It takes place on April 16th. You can find out more information at bearingsbikeworks.org, bearings, B-E-A-R-I-N-G-S, bikeworks.org. Uh, register for, for this event. You can, you can bike, you can ride, you can, you know, you can run, you can walk, um, and it's all along the Beltline. We'll have you know, a lot of fun activities there. Very uh, family friendly. So you bring the kids. You know, mom and dad bring the kids. You make it a, you know an event. It takes place at the Lean White um, Development, which is right there on the uh, West End, uh, where Monday Night Garage and, and Wild Heaven and Hop City and all these other great uh, establishments are are, are, are are there. And it's uh, a fun morning. There'll be groups that'll be led. I'll be out there myself. Um, and then for those that maybe, uh, you know, I think it's maybe like a six mile uh, ride, run, walk, um, and along the belt line. And then for those that maybe are a bit more adventurous, like myself, I'm going to participate in the later event that's called the Belt Grinder, which is a 20 mile, more of an adventure type around the city, um, hitting different parts of the Belt Line, um, with some activities and some challenges. This is the first thing, first time I'm doing this, so just reading up about about it. Uh, seems like it's a lot of fun. They have a race option, and they also have more kind of a fun option. I'm going for the fun option because I really don't know what to expect, um, and I really kind of want to enjoy the the day. So you can register um, and go through the Bearings um, Bike Works um, 
you know, website. Like I said, it's um, bearingbikeworks.org to find out more details, to sign up for it. It is a fundraiser for them. So the, all the, uh, uh, the registrations do benefit the work that they're doing. So I just wanted to share that with all of you. Um, and I hope to that in the future, we can talk more to the folks at Bearings to learn more about what they're doing and you know, ways that we can support them because they're doing such a great job supporting that community in that area. So just want to share that and let you guys know about that. So now as you get into the topic for this week, we're talking adventure racing and, you know, what is adventure racing? And, you know, uh, Jeff Leninger, who is, um, you know, um, you know, has his company, uh, ARGeorgia.com. He, you know, not only is an adventure racer and, but he also is a race director and puts on his own adventure races and ultras. But for those of you that don't know what adventure racing is, let me give you a little bit of a background before we dive into that conversation with Jeff. So adventure racing first started in 1989. Um, it was sort of kind of invented by the French, um, and then it's, uh, you know, kind of Australia, New Zealand kind of really kind of ran with it. But the first adventure race was the Raid Galois. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and it was held in New Zealand and it was made up of various, you know, uh, teams, uh, all five person co-ed teams. And there were eight to 12 days of racing with multiple checkpoints. And they all had different disciplines. Um, it, it was hiking and trekking or trail running, um, mountain biking, kayaking, mountaineering. And as the race kind of developed, there were more disciplines that were brought into it that racers had to become very familiar with and get certified to, to, uh, to, uh, to participate. And that race ended up uh, running from 1989 to 2003. Well, it sort of kind of uh, piqued an, an interest in journalists because it was kind of a new thing. And there was a journalist that uh, uh, that wrote a book, and I actually bought the book years and years ago because I actually got into adventure racing and participated down in Florida, um, you know, probably about 20 years ago. Um, and the book is called Surviving the Toughest Race on Earth, and it documents, you know, what the raid, um, as it's also was known as the raid Galois was also just known as, as the raid what it took to be a participant and he sort of kind of, you know, embedded himself, um, and, you know, covered a couple of the races. And then he himself became a race participant and documented that in the book as well. So if you want to kind of learn a little bit more of what it takes and, um, you know, that's a great book. You can find that on Amazon and I'll put links in the show notes as to where to find that information. But what's interesting about that, cause this book came out in, um, 2011, um, you know, there was other individuals and you'll kind of see kind of how this kind of has kind of, uh, you know, become even rolled into our current pop culture, um, because one of the participants in this race was a gentleman called Mark Burnett and Mark Burnett then sort of licensed the, 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 the race format and came up, which was called the eco challenge. And that ran from 1995 to 2002 and it aired on discovery channel and then later USA network. That's where I kind of jumped in and kind of saw it. And a buddy of mine just really got just immersed in it and just was, was, it was just so cool to see the cinematography, to be in these remote places, um, Madagascar and, you know, uh, Fiji and, you know, New Zealand, British Columbia, and these remote places where, you know, it's areas were largely untouched by, you know, civilization. So very kind of, you know, you know, 
self-sufficient type of races over multiple days. And we were really enthralled by that. And we decided we wanted to kind of get into that. And, you know, Mark Burnett, you know, made that very popular through, you know, the TV coverage on um, Discovery and then USA Network. And then later he became this, you know, big time producer and came up with shows that you're probably not familiar with like survivor and you know um shark tank and all this and that was kind of the start of reality tv because he positioned these cameras and followed these participants around so that was the birth of reality tv which we now know today so just that interaction of how people you know you know, uh, work under pressure or under challenges made it just great television and that continues today so you know, it's one of those things that, um, like I said, um, it, it became very popular there in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and then I felt it sort of kind of died down because I moved away from Florida where there was a little bit of a, a, of a you know, community of adventure races. And Florida sort of kind of maybe lended itself to it maybe, um, but a lot of clubs. And when Eco Challenge sort of kind of disappeared, um, I lost kind of track of what was happening in adventure racing. And there wasn't a lot of that happening up here in Georgia when I moved up here, but it turns out that it's in a smaller scale, it continued to, to grow. And that's where Jeff kind of came in. And, you know, most recently the eco challenge came back, you know, and Jeff and his team competed in eco challenge Fiji, which took place in 2019 and that episode aired, um, or those episodes, because it's multiple days, um, that series aired on Amazon Prime and premiered in um, the year 2020. Um, and that was, so it premiered like right during the pandemic. Um, and all, this was recorded before the pandemic. And it took place in Fiji. And because of the pandemic, they haven't quite continued that. It's sort of kind of stalled, but there are plans for there to be another eco challenge um, and teams, uh, you know, will compete in Patagonia, which again, very kind of um, rough terrain and just being very remote areas where it's, you know, like I said, hiking, biking, orienteering, navigation, learning how to, you know, uh, use a map and a compass and really using, you know, certain skills and communication to, because you're working with a team under some very uh, stressful and challenging type of conditions and environment and trying to get from a start point to the end point. So this is where Jeff kind of came in. Jeff's been racing now for over 20 years. Um, he started sometime in, um, I believe in the early two thousands. So started as a racer and, um, then kind of saw what the community, um, was all about, learned from that, uh, started developing and designing race courses for some of the r races that were happening in Florida, and eventually started his own company and took over some of the races that um, that sort of kind of get passed along either because, you know, the race director kind of retires or is no longer interested, and he's kept adventure racing sort of come kind of alive and it's a very tight knit type of community. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think, you know, is it's become, and because of Jeff, it's sort of become easier as an entry level because, you know, uh, you know, 20 years ago, you had to have a lot of your own gear if you really wanted to compete and be, you know, very competitive. You had to have, you know, have the lightest, you know, canoes or kayaks and, you know, that can get very expensive. And with Jeff, you know, with his company, he supplies all that really all you need is a pair of trail, uh, you know, trail running shoes, um, 
and a desire to compete, even, you know, if you don't have a mountain bike, he has those available, um, you know, for racers. And so he shares a little bit in this you know, conversation we have. So, you know, stay tuned. I mean, this is a, a really kind of unique niche type of, um, of, of activity, but I think it's, uh, can appeal to anyone that just has an adventurous spirit, anyone that is trying to challenge themselves to kind of push their limits and maybe do it not as a, you know, they do have solo um, categories, but to do it as a team, to work together as a team of three or four individuals to start, you know, a race and, and go through all these various different challenges throughout, you know, uh, you know, even in some businesses, uh, it could be as short as a 10 hour race. Um, but they have as many as these longer eco challenge type of races where it could be up to, you know, 12 days. So if you're interested in kind of what that, you know, you know, what is involved in that and how to compete and, and learn more about, you know, getting in and kind of creating this adventure, um, that is beyond just running and, also very fun and and you don't really have to have a whole lot of skills to do it because it's just the way things are kind of organized now it's not about it being the hardest and toughest it's of course going to be challenging but it's also um designed these racers now designed to fulfill a lot of that adventurous spirit that people are kind of looking for these days so stay tuned we'll talk to jeff right after this break at big peach running company we take pride in listening to your needs we take into account the shape of your feet, previous injuries, and activity level to guide you to comfortable shoes for your feet. Whether you're a runner, walker, fitness enthusiast, or simply need comfortable shoes to wear, we offer the best customer experience in the friendliest environment. It's no wonder we've been voted one of the best running stores in America by our fans. Visit any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free fit assessment and video gate analysis. Go to BigPeachRunningCo.com. Welcome back to the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast, and I am excited to have Jeff Leninger here um, with us. Um, he is a race director, has 20 years of uh, you know racing and, and you know adventure racing experience, and as a race director, putting on these events. Um, and you know he has been on my radar now for a little bit over a year when I kind of heard about the Eco Challenge coming back, and there there was a local uh, you know team here in Georgia, and that you know Jeff you know, put that team together, had a team already kind of in place that he'd been competing with, and then found out also that he has a race company that puts on, you know, not only adventure races, but also ultras and trail races here. So welcome, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. So, you know, um, you know, one of the things, like I said, that, uh, you, know, you know, we were talking about previously before we start hit the record button was the, the eco challenge. And that for me, that was one of those things that, got me interested back in you know the late 90s i mean eco challenge started in 1995 i think i caught on to it like you know 97 98 and it was on the discovery channel watched it i was like what is this you know this seems like it's such a unique kind of format it was probably the start of reality tv you know and you know just this documentary style of you know, capturing these teams competing in these really exotic, beautiful places. The cinematography was awesome because you had helicopters flying over and you had, you know, cameras embedded in these you know, very rural and very hard to get places. And then they put a whole show together to document this race that, you know, uh, you know, for me was, it was kind of cool and interesting because it was not just a couple hours or even a day 
it was several days and the challenges that were, you know, that, that you kind of came across, um, not only the environment, but the team, you know, uh, you know, the terrain, um, sleep deprivation and some of these things that just made it really interesting and got me interested in adventure racing. And, you know, I ended up putting a kind of team together. So, uh, you know, how did you get started? Did you have that same kind of similar type of experience? Was it the Ego Challenge? Was it something else that got you into it? No, it was definitely Ego Challenge. You know, I was in I was in Orlando. Um, I had um, a brand new little baby. I was sitting on the couch gaining weight. Um, and my wife walks in and goes, hey, turn on the TV. We're going to watch this thing called Eco Challenge. And you're going to love it. Because she knew that I grew up. You know, my parents had property in Tennessee. I always grew up in the Smoky Mountains. I was always out running on the AT. Um, I was always outdoors. I was always doing stuff to kind of challenge myself. So, but not at the time, because I was basically with a new child and I was working, you know, a lot. And so when she brought me the, the, the show and I watched the show, I definitely got hooked right away. I was like, wow, this is something that I can really get into. I can really do something with this. Um, and the problem is, is that my wife got pregnant again. We had another kid. Now I've got two kids. I got a, two jobs. I was trying to fend for my family. I didn't have time to do anything except go out for a run. I mean, that's pretty much the amount of time that you have when you have young children is to go out, do a quick little run and get back to the house. So it kind of dissolved for me. And um, not till about 2006 or seven, um, you know, I really started uh, you know, reintroducing the fact that I remembered Eco Challenge and I want to get involved in it. Searched the internet, found some races, went and jumped into a race having no clue what was going on. Um, went in with a neighbor of mine that was in the Navy. So I thought all Navy guys knew how to navigate. Well, what that was definitely not true. <laughs> we got lost. We got DNF'd. We, uh, it was just a, a shit show. And I was just like, well, what am I going to do now? I've got to, do better. So I started searching the internet and tried to get more information about adventure racing. Yeah. I mean, you know, myself and a group of friends, we, we, you know, it was a buddy of mine, we were roommates at the time. And so we did the exact same thing. We're sitting there on the couch, you know, one evening we're like, Oh, eco challenge. We'd seen the promos and stuff. I'm like, well, let's watch this. Right. And we were sort of kind of like, you know, we were never really, uh, you know, athletes or anything in school. We were more that recreational, you know, type of let's go out for a run or something like that. And I wouldn't even call us real runners even at that point. Um, but we, we watched the show and we're like, this sounds kind of cool. And then, you know, we ended up doing, you know, back then, I think it was kind of sort of the start of the internet. So we did a little bit of a search to see if we could find anything. We didn't find much. And we lived in Orlando at the time as well. Yeah. And I lived, uh, you know, with my roommate up in Altamont Springs, which is just North of Orlando. And in one of those commutes, we passed, you know, um, this outdoor store. And on the out, uh, outdoor sign, it was, it was travel country. So it's sort of kind of like an REI-ish, but a local owned company. And, you know, that sign that says, you know, eco series or something like that. I'm like, it's like, that sounds like kind of what we saw on TV. What's this about? Yeah. So we went in and checked out like their packet pickup and talked to the race director. And he said, yeah, come on out, you know, check us out. So, you know, I think we didn't go to that particular race. We went to it one later and just kind of said, let's do our homework. Let's see what this is all about. Let's check out the format and how does this compare to the eco challenge? And it was a sprint series race. And for those that don't know much about it, the sprint series race are like 
you know, a shorter format. It's, uh, you know, anywhere from four to maybe six hours, you know, and, uh, so it's something you can, you know, it's, it's that entry level type of race. And so we went and we checked it out and we saw, okay, well, they've got canoes and these, this was all done at state parks where they had canoes and, e- and yeah. it was fairly easy, accessible, um, and mountain bikes. And there was not a whole lot of gear. And I remember that we went out and saw this race and all of a sudden we're, we're just kind of in that transition area. And all of a sudden we see paramedics and we're like, what's going on? And Someone had, uh, had, you know, endoed over their bike and their bar end didn't have, I guess, uh, plugs at the end. Sure. So that bar end ended up kind of impaling them through their thigh. And I was like, this is crazy. What do we do? Are, do we really want to do this? And then, and yet somehow we still signed up for it because there was that little bit of a challenge, you know, of, of racing, of doing something different, of pushing ourselves to do something out of the norm because we were working in a very kind of corporate environment. You know, we were working at a TV station at the time. So it was, you know, we're out of school, you know, out of college and we're like, we need something new. We need something exciting and we're young enough. And so let's try an adventure. So we ended up putting a couple of teams together and then we started experimenting and learning. And to this day, those individuals are probably one of my closest and tightest friends um, that, you know, we're spread all over the country now, but we could pick up the phone, call each other and get together because we spent so much time training. We would, you know, on the weekends, we kind of, we know, well, what's the next uh, race? Oh, it's at that state park. Okay. Well, let's plan a weekend or a couple weekends and let's go out, let's ride. Let's, you never knew the course. And that's part of the, you know, intrigue of these races. You never know what to expect. You know, you never know what the format it's going to be. You never know how you're going to start, what's in the middle, what surprise are going to come up. And um, for me, that was really kind of interesting for all of us. So we went out there and we spent weeks just mountain biking on different, you know, you know, parks and trails and sort of kind of doing kind of not even a formal training type of plan. It was more like, let's just get familiar with these disciplines without actually having any type of like training plan where, you know, these days, if you're going to do anything, there's a specific, you know, type of training plan. There's a, you know, 10 week, eight week, whatever it may be to whether you're running a 5k, a marathon, whatever. We just went out and just like, let's just do it. Let's just, you know, go in there and do it. So for us, it was very, very intriguing. And, um, so we started doing that and then all of a sudden, you know, we stopped hearing about the eco challenge, you know, it sort of kind of died, it fizzled out. Um, and there were other races as well, but you know, as you kind of mentioned before we started recording and as I did my research, it never really disappeared, uh, entirely. There are still other companies that were, um, you know, putting on these events, you know, eco challenge did kind of come back in, you know, you raced it in 2019 and it aired in 2020 and then the pandemic hit. So it's sort of kind of like on hold. I did see that they had registrations for their next one. I don't know if that has, you know, actually came through, but I haven't seen any announcement. No, Patagonia hasn't opened up yet. Yeah. Oh, it hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but it seems like this is, you know, and as you mentioned earlier, it's sort of like this, uh, niche type of, um, you know, event mm-hmm. and, and, um, and so it sort of seems like it's, you know, maybe once again with eco challenge, it's becoming popular. So tell us a little bit, I mean, so you got into the adventure racing and kind of learning, um, what are some of the races? I mean, it seems based on your body, you've done over a hundred of these races. 
Oh, now um, I've probably done over 200 now, probably um, in races. Um, I haven't done as much racing in the last couple of years because the uh, my company, um, which is growing, um, is putting on more races. So it eats up a lot of my time to then go out and go do other races. Um, and so and I also took over races that I used to race. So, you know, race directors pretty much get burned out or financially have problems with, you know, trying to keep the racers, you know, coming to their event. They don't want the event to go away. So I've ended up taking over their event or purchasing their event. And, and those were races I used to race. So I don't race as much. My son does a lot more racing than I do now, but, um, but yeah, done a lot of races, um, all over the country and all over the world. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, how there's some of your best friends are in adventure racing. That's absolutely hundred percent true. When you race with someone and you endure a challenge like an adventure race um, together, you've shared something you've bonded during the event. And that's something that you can't ever take away. It's kind of like uh, surviving a, you know, a sinking ship with someone and you survived it and you got to the Island and you got rescued and you're friends forever because that's how it kind of is for an adventure race. You know, an adventure race isn't just the adventure of the race itself. Um, it's also planning and preparing for the race is an adventure. Trying to find out information about an adventure race is an adventure. It's not just the race itself. So there's a lot of things that go involved. And when you partner up with someone and you take on that challenge together there's a, a bonding experience. There's two different things that happen with people who jump right into an adventure race. They either jump in and they absolutely love it and they're completely 100% addicted and they can't wait for the next event. And then there's the people that saw it on TV and said, that's what I want to go do. They come out and they just have a horrible time. They're like, this is not what we expected and they're gone. That's really... The two people that are that ha that the kind of categories that of people that come into adventure racing, that's where they end up. They're either 100 percent addicted or they're gone. And, um, and it's just like anything else. When I watched golf as a kid, golf looks so easy. Like, well, these guys are just hitting a ball into a hole. It looks mm -hmm. they're just swinging every time the same. That's so easy. But you go out and try to play golf. It's completely difficult. And that's the same thing with adventure racing is, um, you know, it's not as easy as it looks on TV. We've been doing it a long time. Um, obviously, if, if you watched Eco Challenge, the teams that are not experienced, you saw what happened to them. You saw how tough it was for them. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how I got into it is watching that Eco Challenge. And now I'm kind of hooked into it because not only do I am a race director, I'm also a racer still. So, um, I love it. I, I wouldn't exchange it for anything. Yeah. I mean, w yeah, we'll get a dive a little bit deeper in, in, into the, the actual participation of it, because I do think there's some, you know, I remember watching eco challenge as well and watching some of these who you thought were experienced racers. You'd, you'd have the, the, the military guys where it's a Navy mm -hmm. seal or something like that. And you're like, Oh, well, you, of course they're going to win. And then it doesn't quite work out that way. It's not always about, you know, the training it's, uh, there's a lot more into it. It's not just the physical ability or the training. There's a lot more that goes into it. Um, but you know, just getting back a little bit into kind of your story, um, 
the, you know, so you were doing these, these races and you got hooked on it. At what point did you go from becoming a, you know, participant to then owning your own company and putting on these races? And what were the challenges? I mean, you know, kind of going into that. Well, you know, it was, it was kind of like levels. So when you, when I first started in adventure racing, every race was organized by a club. In Florida, you had CFAR, you had We CFAR over on the West Coast. Um, up here uh, in, in Georgia, you had a club. So they were basically nonprofit, just clubs putting on races. Um, however, if you go to a marathon or if you go to an Ironman, it's a completely professional setup. It's completely commercialized. You, it, There's very less headaches at those types of events compared to when you go to adventure racers, one, there's not a lot of information. You don't get a lot of information. Um, it's difficult to learn. And I always thought, wow, we could, we could do so much better in our sport than just a bunch of guys getting together and challenging themselves in black and white maps and good luck and who cares. You know, I always thought it could, it could grow, could be better. Um, Greg Owens uh, started Pangea Adventure Racing in Florida um, and he set up that same format. He made it a business. It was his job. So he was the, one of the first ones to actually make it a business. Um, so he started a format, a business format, and he did very, very well for about five to six years. And um, then he decided to get out. Me and a bunch of other adventure racers ended up purchasing Pangea and turning it in into our business, um, which was Florida Extreme at the time. Um, so Florida Extreme came around. Um, I decided long time ago that I was going to leave Florida at some point. I wanted to move back to, or not back, but up here to the mountains. I love the mountains. I wanted to get out of Florida. I've been there my whole life. I've done everything in Florida. So I decided let's get out. When, um, when I first started with Pangea, I actually was a racer. Then I became a designer. So kind of like the next level is to be a designer. You want to know the guts of the, of, of how adventure racing works. Learning about the inside of adventure race really helped me become a better competitor because I, now I thought I got the mind process of what's this designer thinking here when he's placing a checkpoint, why is this so difficult? Well, you got to think like a designer. So from the designer, then I became a race director underneath Pangea. Um, and then from there, when I left, when we bought Pangea, and then I decided to leave and start my own company here in Georgia called AR Georgia, um, I already was a designer and a race director. Now I was able to put it all together into a company. Um, and that's kind of how it all started and how I ended up here. That's that. Yeah, that's pretty cool because I, I think, you know, the, you know, putting on a court, you know, uh, uh, you know, designing a course and trying to, you know, there's a lot of logistics and, and that's one of the things that I want to kind of get into as well, because, you know, you just came back from doing your race or putting on your race C to C that starts on the West coast of Florida and finishes on the East coast. And it just crosses, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of mileage and, you yeah. know, you've got, you know, off-road, you know, I did see that some of the mountain biking happened at the uh, Santos trail, which I remember biking there. That's just an awesome place to go and bike. Uh, if you're a mountain biker, um, but just the, the, the different, you know, um, you know, bodies of water to cross and, and all that. 
and I think, you know, if anyone, you know, you know, anyone that's familiar with this podcast or is, is typically a runner knows kind of what that format is as a marathon or a 5k. And it's like closing the streets and maybe getting police permits and, you know, you get maybe having some EMTs and stuff, but it's a very small, very confined type of area. Yeah. You know, that maybe at the most it's, it could be anywhere from five to 10 miles across in a city, you know, but here we're talking about several hundred miles across an entire state. How do you go and, and kind of plan that? What are the things that you kind of go through as far as designing a course, but also ensuring the safety of the participants in this type of format of a race? Well, I've obviously I started out first, um, racing the race. Um, so uh, this year was our 23rd annual. Um, I've been running it now for four years. Um, so I did the race first just to understand what, you know, obviously I want to challenge myself. I wanted to see if I can even finish the C to C. Um, then I kind of got an idea of how things work, how things are put together. The big challenge between, um, you know, an adventure race of this magnitude with coming from the West Coast to the East Coast is that it's a point to point. We have to move all of our logistics ahead of the runners and the racers in order to get all set up with aid stations, as well as move their gear, move their bikes, move their boats, move everything, keep moving in front of them. So it's like a race within a race. I have to race ahead with my crew, get everything going. And then I have to shut down behind me. I've got a sweep behind me. Um, and make sure that everything is taken care of, closed down there, everything's cleaned up. There's nobody else remaining there. Um, so it is definitely more of a challenge. I love um, the point-to-point um, format. I, most of my races are point-to-point. I like to load them on buses, don't let them know where I'm going to drop them off, and that's the surprise, and then drop them off somewhere, and they got to work their way back to the finish line. Um, other than like a marathon, it's pretty straightforward as a start and a finish and all in the same spot. You go out and you run around the streets and you come right back. Logistics wise, it's just one location, one aid station, one transition area, but a, um, an event race is, is always moving at that point to point, um, for safety, um, GPS tracking came around, um, good GPS tracking came around about six to eight years ago where it was reliable and areas that didn't have cell phone coverage. Um, and we've been using a tracking system ever since. So every team has a GPS tracker. We can track where they are. That really helped for sweeping. We didn't have to sweep the course. We didn't have to sweep behind and find, make sure everybody was off that section because we could see their tracking. Um, then of course, we have tried our best to keep as much of the race off you know, major roads. We try to keep them off-road. So that then brings in the permit nightmare. If you're in one little city and you're going to run on eight different roads, you get a city permit, you get the police involved closing off the roads, you're basically dealing with one permit. Um, the C to C has 39 permits um, from one coast to the other. Got to get permission to go through mm-hmm. parks, which are then in counties, which you have to have a county permit, which go through a greenway, which you have to have a greenway permit, which goes through Santos, which you have to have. So there's multiple, multiple permits that have to be issued. But 
over the period of time of 23 years, we've kind of got it mastered down. Each person that takes over the race is pretty much handed off the information to the next. And when I took over four years ago, I got a huge amount of help from the past race directors to be able to make sure that um, I had all the information needed to pull off that particular race. That, that's pretty cool. I mean, that, that it gets kind of passed and it just kind of helps maintain the integrity and the quality of that race. I, I mean, that's sort of kind of unique, I think, from, you know, I don't know that there's many other races that do that. Most races, I think, typically they either die out and kind of disappear and it doesn't really kind of, that baton isn't kind of passed along. Yeah. Um, I also, you know, you know, based on my experience and, and it was, it's interesting to, to learn and, and at least, you know, through your company, the way that you do kind of transport, you know, a lot of the gear from site to site that there isn't really a requirement to have a Sherpa or a crew that will carry all your gear, because that's something that I remember in the past in some of the races, um, was required. Now in my, in my instances, the race I did were sprint races. So it was always kind of going to one central transition type area. So there wasn't a whole lot of that, but, um, and in, in those races as well, as I mentioned previously, you know, they were at state parks, which had their own kind of canoes. And so there was very little, uh, investment in gear. But when I moved here to Georgia and I was looking at adventure racing, um, it's, that was not available. The, the one company I think, or the one event that had, you had to have everything. They just yep. sort of kind of designed the course, plan out the course, and you had to have your own canoe or kayak. And I just was not prepared to spend that kind of money. So I kind of backed out of it. Um, but then I, you also said, and I found this kind of interesting, you, you know, for people that don't have mountain bikes, cause for these type of races, you, you know, mountain biking is a requirement. Um, you also rent mountain bikes, you provide them. Yeah, that was something that was, you know, one of the, once we started, basically, um, I bought 80 canoes and I bought 25 kayaks. So kayaks are for the soloists, um, which is also brand new to adventure racing. That wasn't a thing back in the day. Um, it's new now to be able to be a solo racer to come in because you know, some people are military. They don't know if they're going to be able to come to the race or they're going to get called to duty just before the race. So they don't want to commit to a team. Um, some people just don't, you know, just aren't friendly. They don't have friends. So they just want to race solo. <laughs> so, um, so we started offering that. So when I bought all those boats and I bought all this, they're all exactly the same in even playing field across the board because when I first started racing, um, I noticed that I would have to bring my own boat, which I borrowed a canoe from a neighbor, you know, and it was just an old mm -hmm. town, real heavy canoe, doesn't even move hardly in the water. The team that's next to me shows up in this, you know, 20 foot fiberglass racing canoe, kayak or whatever, and it's flying by me at six miles an hour and I'm struggling to keep three miles an hour on the water. And I thought it was a little unfair, but again- right. Back when adventure races started in America, they didn't think about money. They, they, it was, since it was a club, they were pretty much, you could get into this race for 50 bucks. So you didn't pay a right. lot for racing. You just, you had to bring everything. You had to transport everything. You had to get a friend to help you, but it was only 50 bucks. Well, the C to C is now a thousand dollars. And when you look at that, you're like, wow, it's a thousand dollars, but an Ironman is a thousand dollars, sometimes up to 1500 yep. and it's a one day event and they don't move anything for you. It's all in stationary. This is three days yep. for a thousand dollars and we feed you all three days. So 
you know, but now you're paying for all those services. And we, a lot of people were leery on, oh, is this going to work? Are, are, are people willing to pay? You know, they're so used to 50 bucks, you know, are they really going to pay the thousand dollars for us to do everything for them? And all they have to do is focus on the race. Well, obviously it, it worked because the C2C went from eight teams and last year we had a hundred teams. So wow. it's now, you know, come up, kind of turned around full circle. Adventure racing is continuously changing. It's continuously modifying itself to fit the needs of all the athletes that keep coming in. One of those things is athletes just don't have the proper gear to do the race. Uh, last year's Blue Ridge race, um, I had a girl rent one of my bikes and she had never ridden a bike before to that day. That was her first day was riding the bike in the 10 hour Blue Ridge race. And I said, she's never going to make it. There's just no way that somebody's never ridden a bike. Her boyfriend was there, taught her like before the race started, was teaching her how to ride the bike and she was wobbling around and lo and behold, she did the race and finished without ever riding a bike before. And I was blown away, but that's kind of like the mountain bike thing is, is something that we offer. We offer paddles now, PFDs. We, we, we have all the gear that you need. You pretty much just need a pair of running shoes, a backpack with a bladder and the mandatory gear that we have, which the mandatory gear is reduced dramatically from the day I started. Now there's like six pieces of items that you need where before there used to be like 60 like rope that we don't ever use, but you need it just in case something happens. And all these things have changed. And I'm really like the where, I'm not where uh, adventure racing is today. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at, you know, not, you know since you got onto that topic of gear, I kind of went through and looked at what you have listed on your website because you have different um, gear depending on the length of the race. Yeah. And it's all seems like it's, it's, it's all makes sense. It's nothing really extravagant. I mean, you know, for the six to 12 hour race, you know, uh, you got to have, you know, the rules, the race instruction and maps and, you know, a compass. And that's something I think many people don't know about adventure racing is you got to learn how to read a compass and read a map and, you know, orienteering. Um, you do allow cell phones, um, no GPS though, right. no GPS devices or any foot pods or pedometers. Um, so how does the cell phone kind of play in? Because I mean, cell phones do have you know Google Maps and things like that. How does how do you police that if if GPS devices are not allowed? Well, so the phone is there for emergency only. Um, we basically ma mandatory that you turn it off and keep it in the off position and it's sealed in a bag. If you open that bag, that's obviously was because of emergency um, and not opening it up to find out where you are. Um, and again, in the end, this is a it's not like a competitive sport where there's prize money involved, you know, whoever wins first is going to get the same prize as the person who comes in last, you know, it's really just, you know, a trophy and, and that's it. So it's not as competitive. We want everybody to come out and have a great time. If you are super lost and you have to use your phone to get out of trouble, do it. We would rather have you do that and be safe mm -hmm. than to, just bury it and you're just trekking off in the middle of nowhere for hours and days. And I got to go find you. Um, that's, that's, it's just, that's how we police that cell phone teams. Look at other teams and watch other teams. If you're caught cheating, it's such a small group of people that are involved in adventure racing. It's such a small family that it word would spread really fast. 
that you were trying to cheat in a sport that is, you know, relatively based on, you know, etiquette. Right. So there's, so there's a lot of trust and I guess honor among the racers. Um, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. Now, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to when I was doing it and I mean, cell phones were around, but they didn't have GPS on them and even any type of GPS devices didn't really exist or at least were definitely out of our, you know, price range at the time yeah. if they were available. Um, so you, you, you require, require a knife, a first aid kit, uh, with duct tape, duct tape was one of the things we always had. Yep. And that just solved so many, fixed so many things. Um, a hydration pack, as you mentioned, that carried two liters of water, of water, uh, whistle, and then lights for the, you know, for the bike and the helmet. And then for your longer races, you've included, uh, a lighter or waterproof matches, glow sticks, which obviously once you're going into, you know, darker you know, times you need, uh, that, uh, to, to kind of be visible yeah. or, or to be tracked. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the survival uh, emergency blanket, um, you know, I think there's been times I think that we always said it'd be a good idea for us to have when we, when we were doing them, but we just figured we'd never be out there long enough. Um, but, uh, you know, I do remember at one point we could have used one. Um, we ended up out at actually uh, the Santos Trail. We were out there, um, you know, mountain biking and got caught in a storm and we were freezing cold um, because, you know, one of our buddies ended up taking a spill actually ended up with a concussion. And so we're completely drenched, wet, you know, rushing to the hospital, took him to a fire station, to, you know, got him to the to a hospital. And it would have been nice to have an emergency blanket, something to kind of help keep us warm. Um, but, you, you know, water purifier, purif water purification tablets, which, you know, makes sense, especially on those multiple days, especially if you're going through different bodies of water, like you, uh, like in this last race at C2C, and obviously a, a, a headlamp. So that's, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot of expense. And, I, you know, as far as for that entry level for someone wanting to get in, um, it's interesting that you said that, you know, you had that, you know, um, you know, a woman that had never ridden a bike before, was she one of those that did it for the first time and got hooked or was like, that's it, I'm done. Have you seen her come back even though she finished? <laughs> yeah, she did. She just, she did uh, sign up again for the Blue Ridge race. Um, I think that that's kind of one of the things that is exciting about adventure racing is that, you know, the first couple of times that you come out, you're not going to be, um, you know, you're not going to be as good as you want to be. You're going to experience things. Um, we have a past uh, triathlon Olympian that pretty much once he saw Eco Challenge, he's he's come on board in the last year um, as an athlete. And he has, you know, in his mind, he can win everything because he's an Olympian. And he's coming to adventure race and he's right. just struggling and he just he's, he's just mad and he's angry about his performance. And I kind of had a talk with him and said, listen, it's, this is part of the adventure. There's so much to learn about adventure racing and the navigation kind of was tripping him up because I said, listen, you only, you in a, in a uh, triathlon, you just put your head down and you just look, you know, just look for the turns. They mark it. There's people yelling and screaming this way, this way, you know, you're on your own in an adventure race. So the navigation seems to trip everybody up. Navigation back in the day, I'm talking about back in when you were racing, um, the clubs, they didn't care about return customers. They didn't care about customer care. They didn't care about 
the racers, they really wanted to make it as difficult as possible because that fed their ego. Like, oh, I made a difficult course. This is so awesome. You know, just like Eco Challenge, I made it really, yeah. really difficult. And that wasn't a good business format, you know, for trying to grow the sport or grow your company. Um, and so when Greg came in, he made a format a little bit different. What he did was he basically designed his courses with half the checkpoints were very difficult to get to. The other half of the checkpoints were low hanging fruit on the tree. Easy for a person that is to come out and enjoy themselves, grab a couple of checkpoints and get to the finish line. Again, you're ranked based on how many checkpoints you get in the allowed time that you're during the race. So it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. Um, whoever comes back with the most eggs and the shortest amount of time wins. So, but in the back of the day, it was, everything was hard. Everything was difficult. And it was a challenge to find the checkpoints. So that's how adventure racing has evolved in the sense that somebody like, um, I forgot her name, I apologize, but she comes out, she's never biked before. She's never found a checkpoint before in her life. She's she never navved, but her boyfriend was doing the general navigation for her. They went out and got eight checkpoints and came to the finish and was happy as can be. Um, the winners got 30 checkpoints and got to the finish line and were happy. So now when racers come from the elite all the way to somebody that doesn't even know how to ride a bike can come out and have a great time and experience an adventure and still make it to the finish line and sign up for the next. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right about that because I do recall back in the day, you know, when we were doing it, that there was sort of like you said, like sort of like this ego or this, they wanted the races to kind of appeal to those that were really kind of hardcore. The harder the race, the, you know, the more kind of prestige, I guess, the race would be. And it appealed to some people. You know, because I, like I said, a buddy of mine really wanted to suffer for whatever reason. He really wanted to suffer and wanted to do a really tough race. He wanted to go into sleep deprivation, you know, and do a 20, you know, 24, 72 hour multi-day race, you know. Um, and there were some at that time that I remember that used names like, and I think now it's an ultra. I think it's Beast of the East yep. was a adventure race at one point. I think now it's an ultra um, but that was one that was supposedly one of the hardest on the East coast that people sort of kind of like looked up to as for like, Oh my God, that's the big one. I want to, you know, and then someone else would come up and oh no, no, that's the hardest one. Right. And it, to a certain extent that still exists a little bit, even in ultras, right. I mean, to get that golden ticket to Western States, to make it that harder race that had the most elevation change or whatever it is. Um, it appeals to some people, yeah. but I think you're right is that it does prevent other people. It does intimidate people from stepping into this. And I think that's sort of kind of what I, what I'm want to get into because there's individuals that are listening to this podcast. I'm going, man, these guys are crazy. <laughs> Who'd want to do this? Who would want to be sleep deprived? Who would want to invest in all this gear? And really it's like, it, you're, you're sort of challenging just yourself, right? I mean, this is, you know, and your team that you're, 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 you're putting together to compete if you're putting a team together. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know that I would recommend someone to go out and do this solo, uh, as, as a first timer, you know, I, I guess it's possible, 
But I also feel that there's a little bit of, like you said, you know, when you work with a team, there's a camaraderie, there's a, a bond that gets formed when you're going through these challenges, through these ups and downs, and you're working through problems. Because I do think that's the part that sort of kind of appealed to me about the eco challenge um, was sort of kind of working through problems, you know, working through issues, working through challenges that kind of came up, whether it was figuring out how to get over sleep deprivation, whether it was worrying about gear that broke down, whether it was like how to navigate, you know, um, you know, together, um, how to communicate. Cause I, I do think that was the biggest part, you know, when I watched the eco challenge and where teams failed was the communication part, the willing to work together, um, and, and sort of kind of truly be a team to get across that finish line, you know, um, because you have to cross together, you know, in order to finish, it had to be a team. If you started out with four or five people, all four or five people had to kind of come in, you know, at the same time together, you couldn't leave anyone behind. Um, so I found that, yeah, I found that to be really unique and, you know, if, if there was a, if there was a team building type of exercise or something, that would be one that could determine whether that team, you know, building worked or didn't work. It would either make you stronger or you'd leave and you go never talking to those people ever again. Horrible worst experience. Have you seen that? I mean, has oh, that yeah. ever happened in any of your races where, where it's just like people just like short fuse, just very frustrated and they just kind of, you know, you know, got it you know you know went against each other yeah i think that was the appeal to eco challenge when it first came out was it was kind of it was reality you know he didn't he didn't sugarcoat anything he brought people in to this event into the race and when mark burnett realized that this is real life this is true what they're doing what they're going through you're sharing the suck with your teammates and and in a marathon and an ultra, you're on your own. Yeah, you got people ringing bells and, and going, good job or whatever. But when you're really, truly alone out there pounding, you don't have anybody to share the suck with. And when an adventure race is you have a team, you have the ability to share your problems with them. They can help you with it. They, you all have to work together to get to the finish line because if one of you drops, you're all out. And so... You really have to, one, pick a good teammate. And, and then secondly, you have to work those problems that come around. At any given point in time, um, I could be, you know, hyper hypothermia or I could be dehydrated or I haven't been eating. Um, I feel, you know, sad. Um, I'm tired. I'm sleep deprived. And so, it, and I could be having a bad time during the race. And then I need some help. Somebody carries my pack. Someone pushes me, pulls me, encourages me to go. Then it switches. Then I'm the one with all the energy and somebody else is going down. And you have to work that all the way through. Um, when it comes to adventure racing and when you pick teams and you have teammates, again, you're bonded together. It's this sharing of the experience which bonds everybody together, kind of like family. And just like a family, there's yeah. family feuds. There's, there's fighting within brothers and siblings and, and parents, you fight with your parents. This things go on just like that during a race. I've seen teams that have really had a meltdown during the race and are yelling and screaming and fighting and just having a horrible time during that race. Then at the end, they're hugging, 
and kissing and apologizing and making up. And then basically they're on the phone the next week trying to figure out which race they're going to go to dicks. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I, and I do think like, like we said, this, you know, ego challenge sort of kind of started that reality TV series because I think what was, you know, what Mark Burnett just kind of discovered at that point is that, People like seeing conflict and they like seeing those moments, those real moments when not everyone is getting along quite together. They like that conflict. So, um, you know, he then went ahead and started Survivor, which I initially thought it was going to be more of when it was announced that it was going to be more of like an eco challenge type of, you know, but over a 30 day month long period where there would be more challenges. And they do throw that in there, but it's really more about the interaction between people and the conflicts and a little bit of that, you know, strategizing as to who's going to win and the alliances that they do. And that's sort of kind of what has spurred that side of reality TV. And it's like, sort of like, we've seen so many others that have continued down that route of just doing reality TV show that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting back to, you know, you know, let's talk about, you know, the race you did, the Eco Challenge, Fiji. Um, so what was that like? I mean, you know, you know, time-wise, what are we talking about here? I know it was, I'd seen something as much as 11 days. Is that the, what the race was supposed to be? What, how long did it take you to do that race with your team? Well, it was, it was scheduled for 12 days, um, 12 full days, uh, 11 nights. Um, and um, so that's what the original schedule was. Um, the winners did it in seven, seven and a half, eight, somewhere around there. Um, so they basically have this big window of how long it's going to be. And then teams have a deadline of that 12th day, um, at 12 noon, um, that you have to be finished. Um, my team was going to finish in 10 days. Um, however, the, we hit a dark zone and a dark zone was, the final kayak, a uh, sea kayak, um, uh, out from the main island over to the smaller islands was a pretty good distance. And, um, the, the seas were really, really bad. So what they were doing was they weren't allowing any boats to go out at night because it made rescuing, you know, it just basically was unsafe. So we got to that dark right. zone and you had to be there by six o'clock or you hit the dark zone. We got there at like five thirty, So, we thought we were able to go out on the water, but they stopped us and we were held for till the next morning till six o'clock or we would have finished in 10 days. We finished on the 11th morning. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously safety is a concern and I, that makes sense if you're going out in the water completely in the dark and if the conditions aren't great, then no one wants to do a, a rescue or put anyone in danger. So smart on them to do that. Um, but just kind of let people kind of know and just think about that. Imagine, you know, for those of you that have done a marathon, you know, and whatever time that takes you, imagine doing a race that takes 10 or 11, 12 days to do. And the, what you would have to kind of go through the ups and downs of having to, you know, of racing over, you know, you know, a long distance. I mean, how much, what was the mileage that you were covering? Do you know, kind of on average, was it 10 miles a day, 20, 30, you know, I guess it depends on the terrain. No, it was 600 miles total. Um, or yeah, 600 miles or 600 K somewhere around. I, I completely forgot. It's either, I think it's 400 and something miles and 600 K. Um, and so 
we were having to cover a huge amount of distance um, each day in order to make the cutoffs. If you if you see the show now, you'll see the cutoffs. Um, people didn't make the cutoffs. Um, my team headed out pretty pretty fast in the early stages, and we ended up with a 24-hour lead on the cutoff. So from there, we were pretty comfortable throughout the race. Um, we slept a total of about 8 to 11 hours for the um, 11 days. Um, the last day when we stopped for that cutoff, um, we were pretty excited because we were like, oh, we don't have to race again till the morning. So we get we got a, a good amount of sleep. But up to that 11th day or 10th day, we only had 11 hours. We were averaging an, an hour uh, a day. And and people, you know, again, they're listening to this and they're like, that's insane. There's just no way you can do that. Um, and what happens really is it the, the, body, the human body is really good at adapting. And after the day two, day three, day four, your body kind of starts to go, oh, is this what we're doing every day now? Okay, well, all right. Mm-hmm. Just just like if you went out and did something like you went out hiking the AT for, um, you know, for a couple of months, your body gets used to sleeping on the ground, getting up, being uncomfortable, you know, being cold, being wet, whatever it is, it just gets used to it. So I, my body was being tricked into thinking that I was getting eight out eight hours of sleep a night by getting that one hour of sleep. We tried to target to sleep around one hour before sunrise every day. That was kind of our, always our target, no matter where we are, plop down, go down for an hour nap, sun comes up, you wake up and it pretty much is a trick. And once the sun is up, you pretty much can stay up. Um, it's those wee hours in the morning that were difficult, but again, the human body kind of, you know, tricks you or you can trick it into believing that it's gotten a full night's sleep and you can keep moving. Um, you know, injuries are a different story. Injuries during a race don't heal. So that's why most of the people were extracted from the race is because they would occur in an injury and over the days it just got worse. Um, even a simple scratch can turn into an infection. Um, and you have to really take care of those things. And that was some of the reason why most of the teams had dropped. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I do recall, you know, cause obviously in, in most of these races, you're going to very kind of unexplored, maybe even untouched areas by, you know, any human, right. You know, and so you don't really know what you're in encou- and you're going to encounter now going, you know, in, in preparation for that, you know, if you're going somewhere like Fiji, are there certain things that you take any like, uh, precautions as far as vaccine and shots or things like that, that you take, you know, for various, you know, you know, viruses that are known, uh, is that part of the preparation, um, before you arrive in Fiji or, you know, for really or any race that, you know, is outside of the U S. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was 2019, so it was pre COVID. So we were kind of just like, just looking at different ways. The first thing that we did when we found out that it was Fiji, we looked up all the dangerous animals that we were going to encounter. And surprisingly, there are no dangerous animals on Fiji. The most dangerous animal is a sea snake and it's out in the ocean, um, which means you're going to be in a boat or, you know, um, you know, of some type. So that was the most dangerous. There's no snakes on the island that are venomous Okay. Um, on the island. There's no wild boars. There's no tigers, lions, bears, nothing. Just not, it's so we were like the most dangerous thing was a weed and um, just stay away from that type of weed. And we're, we're pretty, pretty safe. 
Um, but the jungle whacking was very, very difficult. Um, and something that we kind of underestimated was the element of weather on Fiji. Um, we did some research to find out that half the island is wet and cold. The other half is dry and hot, um, which is, you know, kind of unusual, but it was absolutely hundred percent true. Um, and so that was kind of the preparation vaccines. It's an isolated Island. Pretty much the people are there, um, in this interior of the Island. Um, I've been there forever. The outside islands are all where the tourists are. Um, and those are always, you know, at risk for different things, but we, we pretty much just, um, did research on deadliest animals. We didn't really care about, uh, now the water was horrible. Um, you definitely had to be careful of the water. A lot of racers got sick because they didn't take the precautions to purify their water. Um, mm -hmm. Unlike like here in Georgia, if I'm up high on a mountain um, and there's a, a, a spring head coming up out of the mountain, I know that's untouched. There's nothing that can really contaminate it. Um, I can drink right out of that with no problems. Um, in Fiji, wild, um, uh, livestock is allowed to run everywhere. Rome, there's no fences and they go up high up on mm -hmm. top of the mountain and, and contaminate the water. Um, there's no bathrooms in the villages. They pretty much just go wherever they want to go. Uh, they wash their clothes in the rivers. Um, they bathe in the rivers. They, you know, so the rivers and the waters are contaminated. So you really had to be careful where you got the water. Um, and that was one of the precautions that we kind of knew ahead of time. Okay, that's 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 good to know because I do remember. I think you know if, if there's anything really that would be sort of kind of dangerous, really it's the terrain itself, right? I mean, the a possibility of rolling an ankle, of going over your bike, you know, things like that that could do bodily harm, but nothing really that uh, you know, I guess like dangerous animals. Snakes would be the one thing because I'm not a fan of snakes, <laughs> and and if there are poison snakes, I'm like I'm not going anywhere near there, you yep. know. Um, but, you know, as far as your team, because I did look this up and, you know, and I did see that your, your son was part of your team. And then as I looked up, um, was, you know, before we, we started recording and before you came on, I was like, look, I'm like, he started racing at the age of seven. He started doing adventure racing at the age of seven. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, to me, that's amazing. Cause I don't know of many, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what the average age is of an adventure races, but <laughs> like 30 back when we were doing it. <laughs> yeah. When, back when we were doing, it, I mean, I was in my mid twenties and I never would have, I mean, I think I would have been going a seven. I mean, and not only that, I probably would have gotten beaten by your son. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, at a 5k, you know, when I first started running and I'm like going, I'm getting beat by a 10 year old or a five year old, yep. you know, um, that's pretty impressive. So what is, is it like to race um, with your son, to, to go out to Fiji, to be out there 10, 11 days with your son? What did that do to your relationship? Are you guys, did you guys bond? Are you really tight now? Or, you know, because of the racing, did you butt heads? What was that like uh, during that time in Fiji? Well, we were just, again, um, you know, he had, I had shown him all the videos of Eco Challenge. He knew of Eco Challenge. He's been racing with me for several years. And so this was like a lifelong dream for him to be on, you know, to be doing this race. So we didn't have any issues, obviously, any time during Eco Challenge because we were just thrilled to be there. You know, it's it's kind of like I don't have to be the life of the party. I don't have to be the most popular, but at least I'm at the party. And that was the kind of the aspect that right. we always had. We're at the party just, just have a great time. There's no need to try to win. There's no need to worry about the cutoffs. 
let's just have a great time. Hunter starting at such a young age was absolutely not the norm. Um, I was at the time I was designing races at the time and Hunter was playing football and he was curious about adventure racing. He had heard my stories and, you know, seen me coming home covered with mud and he thought it was cool. And so he convinced my, my oldest son, which was two years older than him. Hey, let's do an adventure race with dad. Um, and, and, you know, but the problem was I was the race designer, so I couldn't race my own race. So, um, uh, my, my wife's father said, I'll take him. So they basically did their first adventure race when Hunter was six and Cameron was eight and they, it was just a three hour race. It wasn't really long, had a great time, got covered in mud. Hunter said, dad, I loved it. I want to do another one. My oldest son said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good with that. <laughs> so Hunter kept pursuing and kept, you know, asking. And I, and I, I felt nervous about taking him out there um, in the woods. You know, I, in Florida, we have gators, we have snakes, we have wild boars, we have, you know, uh, we have wild people. We have, there's just a lot of dangerous things in Florida. And I didn't feel comfortable at first. So I, I kept him to basically short races um, and, but I couldn't get rid of him. The kid just kept begging for more. I had to get the race directors to allow such a young person to come in. We had to do special insurance. I had to sign my life away, his life away. I had to do a lot of things because children just weren't racing. Um, and then as right. he got older, um, I, I ran into the same hurdles. You know, when he, even when he was 13, I had to get special permission for a race. Um, he did the Leadville, you know, bike race. And we had to sneak him in as a, you know, 18 year old female, even though he was 16 years old and he was a male, I had to do, he had long hair. And so I had to sneak him in, um, as a registered racer. So we have a bid number. Um, yeah, I've had to do some tricks just to get him to be able to race, but now he's, um, you know, head first doing really, really well. He actually won this year's, um, C to C. Um, and, um, he was the youngest at 20 to ever, to ever win it. The, the other person that won it was 24. So, um, he's doing quite well now. Yeah. I expect that he's going to have a very long and, uh, you know, uh, you know, a career in, uh, adventure racing and, uh, probably going to make a name for himself. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I remember him because even like I said, back when eco challenges around and there was team New Zealand, you know, you had, you know, and names that I still remember Ian Anderson, yep. you know, um, Mike closer, you know, very popular, yep. uh, Yep. Um, uh, Robin Benacasa, mm -hmm. you know, these are names that just kind of popped up and, you know, you'd see him every year at eco challenge and then at other races. And then you still sort of kind of see him now in certain parts of our industry. I've seen Ian's name pop up, uh, I think as a, he's doing something technical or designing footwear or doing yeah. something. I, I think I, I can't OCR. Remember the last so he's involved um, in OCR. So obstacle course racing, he's part of that federation. That's yep. what it is. That's that's yep. That's right. That's where I saw. I knew his name popped up recently. Um, I saw his name pop up, and then I see Robin Benacasa is uh, you know who you know. I think she won. Uh, I think or was she? Or, uh, 
She won Eagle Challenge in 99, I think, with Mike Closer and, and, yep. and Ian. And then she went off to Merrill yep. uh, Zanfeld after that and uh, started her team. Um, and then Team Nike stayed with Mike Closer and Ian Adamson. Yep. Yep. So those are names that kind of, kind of stay, have stayed with me. So I do think that I'm going to see Hunter's name, you know, well, well, you know, into the future, uh, as, as far as these races and, and other things that he's going to get into. So let's, let's not talk about, you know, some of the other things, because while you put on, you know, these adventure races, you also put on, you know, some other races, you know, you did see to see, but you t- do a couple races here, um, in Georgia. So, you know, Coming up, looks like you've named this, I'm guessing, after your son, the Endurance Hunter 100 Miles, 100K, coming up on April 9th. Um, Let's see, this starts in downtown Blue Ridge and finishes up in Chatsworth, uh, Georgia. So using the Benton Mackay and Pinhoti Trails and finishing up up in Fort Mountain. Mm -hmm. 22,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, Now, I don't know, um, I've done a couple ultras. I've never been one of those that kind of really kind of geek out on elevation gain, but I know Everest is 29,000 feet yeah. and this is just 7,000 shy <laughs> of that. Is this like the most elevation gain? Is this like, how does that rank in, in, in compared to some of these other ultras? It's, it's a little bit on the high end. Um, you know, there's 15,000 is kind of the middle, um, you know, for, for a hundred miler. Um, it all depends again on the design. If you, if you have a, a hundred miler that you're doing, four 25 mile loops and those 24 mile 25 mile loops is really strenuous and really got a lot of gain that it's, it's it's pretty much that's what you're involved in this is a point to point um so it's probably the most yep. elevation gain for a point to point you never foot you never step foot on a on a on a, tre- a trail again after you've gone through it so um it is pretty high for a point to point hunter kind of came up with the idea it's part of he holds the FKT for, uh, which is the fastest known time, if you don't know what that is, for the Bitten Mackay uh, Trail, which is um, 288 miles. He set that record uh, a year ago. And his one of his favorite spots is kind of like the stretch between Blue Ridge and connecting with the Pinhoti Trail. And then he just attempted the Pinhoti Trail record, um, which basically is the, that North Georgia section that he loves. He also loves the Fort Mountain trails. So him and I sat down, we said, what are we going to do? Let's put together all three of those sections and see where it comes out. And it came out to be like 99 miles. So we were like, Oh, no brainer. Let's make this a hundred miler. So, um, and endurance hunter is his brand. So, um, I kind of struggled with sponsors to pick up the, uh, the name of the race. And, um, I just got fed up and I said, ah, screw it. I'm just going to give it to Hunter. It's going to be his race. And, uh, so now he's running with that. Oh, that's awesome. And I mean, the other thing that I, that I saw is that, and I'm not, you know, like I said, I've done a few, uh, ultras and I don't know many that give cash prizes. You've got $500 uh, going the first male and the first female, um, and then a $250 bon- bonus for the a person that beats the course record. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yes, I mean, if you're a competitive, you know, ultra runner, you know, I, you know, I'd say that's one to definitely put on your radar and, uh, and go for it. I mean, I said most times people are out there and they're just going out for, you know, that, you know, a, a medal, you know, a placement and, and, uh, and bragging rights. Yeah. Right. 
Oh, and then you can throw the three hundred dollars uh, for the next years on there too. So if you can win, oh yeah, that's yeah, right. So if you can win, you get the two fifty. You get the five hundred. If you get the course records, it's two fifty, and you get the three hundred for the next year. So it's definitely good value. I kind of wanted to, you know, to get get it out on people's radar was to kind of throw out a carrot, and um, you know, we 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 have a good sponsor that came in late. And they wanted to offer the cash prize. So I said, okay, no problem. We'll, we'll just throw in a cash prize for it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so you've got that, you got the coming up, then you got the Blue Ridge adventure race in May 6th through 7th. You got a 10 hour and a 24 hour race. That's the one that you mentioned that the, uh, one, um, woman, uh, didn't know how to right. uh, ride a bike. Um, so you know, the, uh, let's see the 10 hour, uh, starts on the Aska trail system, which I'm f- very familiar with. I've done a lot of uh, trail running up there and, and did a couple ultras there, uh, paddling the Tacoa river. Uh, and then you get the 24 that it goes to Amicalola fall state park and, um, uh, mountain biking at bull mountain and uh, start and finish is in downtown blue Ridge. Yep. Um, Fort Yargo, you got an ultra of 50 K and 25 K on May 28th. Yep. Um, hogback 24 hour adventure race that is it includes whitewater rafting on the Okoe River, which has class three and class four rapids. And I've, I've whitewater rafted that is no joke. No. That, yeah, that's some serious business there. So, as far as for, for a race like that, do you allow solo uh, for that type of race and to do solo kayaking? And, and how do you, because, uh, you know, you got to be experienced to do that type of, uh, type of uh, you know, whitewater class three and class four rapids. I mean, even as a team, I've gone there with, you know, where you kind of show up for the day and say, like, you want to do a half day or a full day? And you get a guide and it's like, okay, you want to have fun or you want to take it easy? And he knows all the routes and the line to take to make it either, you know, as safe as possible yeah. or get that adrenaline pumping as well. So how, how does that work? I mean, I'm assuming there's no guides. This is all their team and, and they do this, no, right? There, there are guides. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah, so there's guides. You're not alone. You're not in my canoe going down class four, um, rapids. <laughs> the first year that Hunter and I did that in 2015, the hogback was, um, was introduced in 2015. Hunter and I went and did the race and pretty much you start, um, we were bussed over to the uh, raft put in, and this is all through the rafting guide. And um, we pretty much just all jumped in the boats and rafted down the river, and then we got out. And that was kind of like when the race started. So it was like a rafting, but not in the race. It was just rafting down the river, and then everybody got out, and that's when the race kind of started. So... Um, in 2019, I was going to bring it back. Um, I had planned to bring it back, but then Eco Challenge hit. And so I had to prepare for Eco mm-hmm. Challenge. And then I'm like, all right, I'll do it in 2020. Well, it's in 2020, uh, COVID hit. And I'm like, oh, crap, now I can't bring it up. So we just successfully brought it back last year, 2021. And I worked with the um, uh, outfitter there that handles all the rafting. And I said, I want to. I want to make this a race. How can I do this? This is what I want to do. I want to have a prologue at the beginning of the race that separates the teams. So I, I did a about a 30-minute run to get a checkpoint, and that separated the teams. As soon as they come back, let's say the first five people or six people come back from that trek, 
They jump in the boat and that boat takes off and it's a race down the river. The guides are allowed to race whoever is in their boat down the river. So now it became a challenge for the rafting guys to like beat their buddies. And then the racers were racing to try to beat, you know, position themselves during the race. So it turned to this chaos of just really a lot of fun where they can actually race. And then the guides basically take you down in a six person raft down safely through the rapids, but you are at race pace. So the front guys wanted to race really hard. The middle of the pack kind of just were leisurely racing and the back of the pack pretty much just had fun. So that's how the race started. And then whatever position you come out of the water, you're in the position to start the race, you know, continue the race. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, that, that sounds for me at least, you know, sounds so much better because, yeah. you know, anytime I've, I've been on the Akoi, it's been with a guide. I've done the full day and it, you know, especially after a heavy rain, you know, that gets really kind of crazy there. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, um, and it's no joke. You gotta, you gotta be experienced. And the fact that you got experienced guides that are taking them down, that just makes it so much better because it's, a, it's, it, it's an adrenaline rush. If you've never been on the Akoi and whitewater rafting, there's plenty of great companies out there that'll do it. And, uh, you know, whether you're doing it for a race or just doing it for fun, just to kind of explore, you know, just, you know, the Tennessee yeah. area, it's something I would definitely recommend. Um, so that's kind of cool. And then, uh, a new race, I believe that you, uh, and, and I see that it's, is that the one that sold out? Is the Expedition Colorado? Yeah. So um, Hunter and I have been traveling back and forth to Colorado um, pretty much um, for our training for Eco Challenge. Um, our teammate, Katie, was lives in Boulder. And so when we were having to get certifications for Eco Challenge, we had to have whitewater rafting where we actually, obviously you saw during the show, we had to guide our own rafts. So the whitewater rafting company was out there. The rock climbing company that was giving us a certification was out there. So Hunter and I started going out and being part of Colorado, exploring. We always went in the wintertime, but we rarely went in the summer. We, we got enough things to do in the summer here. We didn't need to go to Colorado, but we fell in love with um, some areas up there, Breckenridge, Twin Lakes, uh, Leadville, we really fell in love with that. And we were asked by several people to put on a race out there. Can you bring something like C to C to Colorado? And we started playing around with the idea in 19, but then of course COVID hit and we thought yeah. we were going to bring it in 22. We thought we were going to bring it in 21. Now we've waited to 2022. Um, so when we announced that we were going to put that race on, um, it just got an immediate buzz across the community of adventure racers. And within a month I sold out and I was blown away with the fact that everybody really wanted a race in Colorado. I was, you know, as a business person, you're, you're like, Oh man, you're just throwing darts at the board and hoping for the best. Um, this one was, right. I don't know if I'm going to be successful. I thought maybe we would get, you know, 25 teams and that's kind of the norm for an expedition race. Um, especially first year. And we're at 60 teams now um, and sold out. So oh, I was wow. I was really set back by that. I'm really you know happy that they really won a race in Colorado. So we're kind of excited about it. Yeah, I mean, Colorado is just a great place. I've you know, you mentioned some of those places and I've and I remember uh, you know, 
prior to, I think it was 2019, prior to the pandemic, I mean, I went out there and I, every, yeah, I was out at Twin Lakes, I, you know, and uh, I, I was out in Leadville, I was out in Breckenridge, you know, Breckenridge is one of my favorite places to ski, but I made a whole week out of it because, you know, I was actually out there for the Leadville 100. Now, I wasn't racing, I was out there as going to be a pacer. And, you know, the, the runner that I was out there, uh, I never got the pace. She got injured. She actually started the race with a, uh, stress fracture mm. and kind of pushed through, didn't even really know it was a stress fracture, just knew that she had had some pain and about 30 miles in, she had to drop out. And it was weeks later when it got diagnosed with a, with a stress fracture. But I was like, well, I'm out here. I'm like, I'm not coming out here just for a weekend. You know, I'm not flying out to Colorado and just going to, you know, you know, run in the middle of the night and then fly back home. It's like, I'm making it this vacation. So I ended up going out to twin lakes, you know, and, um, you know, running the trails there and then, you know, going out to, you know, and, and running, you know, around, um, you know, copper mountain and then heading over to Vale and Breckenridge. And that's a beautiful area. Beautiful. Yeah. So I, can, I, you know, the views there and the terrain is, I, is just going to be spectacular. And so I'm not really surprised that you sold out and that the, you know, that there was such high demand, um, for that. So that, that's awesome. Uh, that's very cool. Um, I also see that you're uh, putting on the adventure racing solo championships and it's right here in Ackworth, Georgia. It's a 24 hour adventure race. Yeah. So that's, that's a new concept and again, again, the, the solos have taken off. I mean, there used to be one or two solos in a race if lucky, or even if the race director would have been allowed yeah. solos. Um, insurance policies changed to where we were able to allow solos. Um, and that kind of opened up the door. Um, I started solos uh, about three years ago, um, in races and it's just grown. Um, so one of the things was, you know, it's, it's top teams or top racers move from teams to teams. They're always trying to find that right formula of partners to be able to be consistent in winning races. So people kind of move all around. And so when you start looking at rankings of like the best teams in America, you know, it's, it's hard to tell who's really the best because people move around a lot. Right. Who's the best, you know, adventure racer, who's the best athlete in an adventure racing, you know? And so when it came to the solo championships, I was like, well, here's your chance to prove it. Here's your chance to prove that you're the yep. best athlete, the best navigator, you're the, you're the best at adventure racing. And I kind of threw out the idea. And again, I always throw out these feelers. We're a small family. I mean, we're relatively maybe 5,000 athletes in America that, that are in adventure racing. So it's very, very small. Throw some feelers out there. Is this something they wanted to do? And got great feedback. So we're putting on uh, the solo championships. I put it right here in my backyard so that it's easier for me to manage. Um, and it's real easy to fly into Atlanta. And so this will be the first annual solo championships. And everyone is excited about it because they're, they're ready to prove themselves as the best. So I'm kind of excited to see what happens. So how many solo, uh, so, you know, how many participants do you have in that solo category for this championship? Uh, we'll sell out at a hundred. And right now I think we have 40 signed up. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I would agree with you that, you know, back when I was doing it, I think the first couple of years there were, there were no solo, um, involved and, you know, only teams. And at the time I think it was teams of 
three when we were doing it in the sprint series. And then it was interesting because there was one guy that did it solo and sort of, he sort of kind of did it as a training. Yeah. And you might even be familiar with his name. Uh, at the time he was a captain, um, Blaine Reeves. Blaine Reeves, yeah. And yep. And so he was down in Florida and he was, you know, the guy was awesome. He did a couple of ego challenges. He did British Columbia, he did Australia. And so here we are kind of, you know, I think we met him uh, you know, at the first time, first uh, race that we went to kind of do recon and, and just kind of learn. And we see this guy who's out there by himself racing and he's killing it, killing yeah. it. I mean, finishing way before everybody, you know, you know, anywhere from, you know, almost an hour, you know, and this is a sprint race, we're talking four to six hours. He's finishing you know, about an hour ahead of everyone. Yeah. And we talked to him and found out a little bit more about him. The race director told us about him and he was just doing it as training. He wasn't competing. He was just like, I need a place to train. He's going out and doing it. And then later they opened up the, um, you know, the solo category. And so I, I'd been out there, you know, as you know, on a team and I just figured, you know what? I just want to see what this is like to go by myself. I just want to do something by myself and see how good am yeah. I. And I remember going up to him, you know, because obviously he was doing it solo and he had, had had registered for it. And I said, hey, I'm coming after you. I'm going solo. I'm like, <laughs> you and me. And he and, and he looked at me, you know, and this, you know, he, the nicest guy in the world. But he the look he, he, he gave me was... And I can't remember what he said, but the look he gave me was like, I will eat you for lunch. <laughs> you know, it was just yeah. that, just that look, he, you know, you know, and then he just kind of had this little kind of smile behind it to just kind of let you know that he was joking. And I'm like, and for that one, you know, instance, I'm going, what did I just what did do? I just say? I just poked the bear. I just poked yeah, the bear. Yeah, because he just told you, you know? he was out there just training and now you're threatening him. So now he's really going to smoke it, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was a great guy. We trained with him, uh, uh, you know, uh, a bit, we, you know, back then when we were going out as groups, we, we'd hook up with him and we'd go out and ride together. And then, uh, he moved, I think he moved out to Fayetteville, uh, up in North Carolina and we ended up, a buddy of ours moved out to Raleigh and we ended up kind of connecting with him and, and, uh, you know, I, at this point it's probably 20 years ago and we kind of went out and rode yeah. again and, and, uh, connected, but really nice guy. But I was, it was like, if that was the, the one time where I was like, what did I just do? I just, I just, I, I, you know, I don't have a poker face. I'm not intimidating, you know, but you know, he, you know, I was like, I, that I should have just kept my mouth shut and just flying on the radar, but it was, but it was fun. It was a, it was a good moment. And just, you know, once again, it's that camaraderie and that family of just, you know, adventure races, you know, just, you know, um, so very, very yeah. cool. Um, I mean, you've got a lot of races. I mean, you, you know, you, you, know, you got, uh, another adventure race up in Blairsville, you got the Blue Ridge ultra, uh, in October, uh, you got the Cauldron Adventure Race in White Springs. Uh, although you, that's uh, that's a TBD right now. Yeah, you got a couple in Florida that are TBD. Yeah, always always TBD. Um, we have we have to get our permitting first before we announce the race. We don't want right. to we don't want to take anyone's money. We don't want to sign anybody up and then have to change the date or or change the location. So um, my permit team is working on that. And again, it's late October. We have hunting season in Florida. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to move things around. So right. we have to deal with hunting season. Um, and so that's the reason why it's TBD at this point. 
Right. Well, I mean, it's understandable. I mean, based on the last couple of years, there's been a lot of events that have sort of kind of been TBD and either canceled because of the pandemic or, you know, not sure if they'll, you know, proceed or, you know, like I said, cancel altogether. Um, so pretty cool. The uh, Blue Ridge Ultra, uh, October 8th. So most of my ultras, I, you know, the first ultra I did was up in Blue Ridge. So I'm very familiar with the Aska Trail system. Our owner, uh, Mike uh, Cosentino, actually lives you know, uh, probably about a mile from the Aska trails, you know, so he typically runs those from his house. Um, so that might be one if I, you know, once I get back into doing ultras, I, I sort of kind of jumped in and did them for several years and had was doing, you know, in the fall was doing, you know, anywhere from two to three 50 Ks, um, over a two month time period. And then I just started like, okay, I'm done. And so I might get back into it. I, I do miss trail running. I love trail running. Um, but, uh, that might be one cause that's always, October is a very, uh, it's a very good time to be running up there in Blue Ridge. It's like the leaves haven't quite fallen, yeah. you know, so you can see kind of what's under underneath. Um, I remember doing one in late September and I remember there was a hot one and, uh, finishing and it was like 90 degrees by the time I, uh, finished and, uh, I had some, uh, heat related type of issues. Yeah. This will be our third year or there. Um, so um, or no, it'll be our fourth year there. Sorry. Um, and, um, we've had great weather. Um, it, it's either, it's either cool or it's raining, which is still cool, but we haven't had anything hot because it's like that yep. first weekend in October is, is right when it's starting to change. The leaves are starting to change and the temperature starts to change. So, um, uh, we've had it lucky. Yep. So if anyone's interested in doing any of the of Jeff's races, it's argeorgia.com. If you're interested in doing any type of adventure racing or ultras and you want to really kind of challenge yourself and do something different, go to argeorgia.com um, and check out the full, uh, you know, uh, you know, calendar there uh, of his races. And then I do know that for those of you that are interested in maybe if this, you know, uh, episode has got your you know, piqued your interest into adventure racing. He's got a section under resources under his website that uh, has some uh, Facebook live type of episodes that he's recorded that talks about uh, either specific things about some of the courses uh, and how to prepare for them and, uh, you know, and kind of what to bring and kind of what you need to do to prepare for them or just talking about adventure races in general. If you're first, you know, if you're wanting to get in and want to learn a little bit more about it and, you know, things like paddling techniques, what to pack, you know, navigation and a variety of different, uh, you know, topics, including, uh, trail running, um, you know, check out his website. Um, and, uh, you know, final thing, uh, Jeff, you know, as far as, you know, since we primarily talked about, you know, adventure racing, which I do think is kind of, kind of cool and it incorporates so many different things. What advice would you give to someone that, you know, maybe is, you know, go, you know, interested in either putting a team together or going solo and just getting into adventure racing? Well, you know, the information is so much more available now than it used to be, you know, when you and I started. Like you said, you tried to find information and the web was so fresh that you barely found anything. That was kind of our adventure, you know. Now it's a little bit more, a little bit yeah. easier for people to get involved. Um, again, um, finding a teammate is, would be the best. To share that experience would be the best. Um, and then learning how to, the, gen, the the basics of navigation. If you can do those two things, adventure races is, is, is okay for you. You can get into adventure racing. And again, don't go in with any expectations. Um, I suggest 
which has been very popular, is volunteer. Reach out to us, volunteer. There's a volunteer button on our website. It tells you everything how to volunteer for a race. Then you can come and see hands-on what people are doing. And then we have so many races that you can then plan for the next race. So volunteer at one coming up and then plan for something later in the year or you know later this year to be involved. That's the best way to do it. And then you're basically side by side with my staff. You're side by side with volunteers and you're watching the racers, seeing what they do, learning about the sport. Don't, don't just jump in. You, you, you saw what happened. It just doesn't work when you just jump right in. Um, you can jump right into a half marathon, throw some shoes on, grab a couple of goose and go. But an adventure race, you really need to do some homework. And I think you need to go see an adventure race first before you just jump right in. Because you don't want to go out and have a horrible experience, get lost, get frustrated, yell at your spouse, and then never do it again. Right. No, that's 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 great advice. I mean, for anyone that's kind of in the Atlanta area, you know, the the races here that he's got, the Blue Ridge Adventure Race that's coming up in May would be great uh, to volunteer at. Um, we mentioned the Adventure Racing Soul Championship in Ackworth would be great. And I know that based on some of the, the metrics I looked at, we've got uh, quite a few people that uh, listen to our show out in Colorado, Denver specifically. Yeah. So if you're out in that area and interested, you know, the Expedition Colorado would be a great one. I mean, the you know, if you're out there, you know what I'm talking about as far as the, the terrain there and the beauty that's out there. So that'd be a great one to go and, and volunteer and, uh, and learn a little bit more. Um, you know, Jeff, thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your uh, evening here and to talk about this. And hopefully we get a lot more people interested in adventure racing and that uh, things like Eco Challenge do come back and sort of, you know, expose more people uh, to this really interesting and very cool, you know, sport yeah. that I, I, that I think is, it's one of those things that, um, you know, we've all have, you know, at, at one point maybe even done a triathlon, but if you're looking for that next thing, that next challenge, because things like triathlon are very, you know, it's a solo type of, of sport, you know? Um, and you know, I've went from triathlon and then got into ultra because I was looking for what's the next challenge, you know, this, you know, adventure racing could be that next challenge. If you're interested in doing something like that, you know, doing it as a team environment, you know, really kind of bonding with that community and really kind of, really kind of pushing the boundaries of those lows, you know, that, uh, we all come, uh, from these endurance races and taking that to a new level and, and really learning more about yourself, because I think that's the biggest thing when we do these type of races is that we learn more about ourselves. We get more in touch about with who we are and how we deal with things. And then also how we deal with life in general because of those experiences. So thank you very much, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Um, so thank you very much. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, wrap this up and, uh, you know, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this break. Big Peach now sells bikes at our Brookhaven location. Big Peach Ride and Run. We help get you into the right bike that fits you and your needs. Many of us enjoy being on two wheels as much as our own two feet. It's not only a great way to stay active and fit. It's also a great way to recover from long runs and also have fun. We carry kids, commuter, mountain, gravel, road bikes, and more, no matter what you prefer. With brands like Giant, Live, a division of Giant that makes bikes exclusively for women, and Momentum, we've got whatever bike you're looking for. Stop by and check out our selection at Big Peach Ride and Run, located inside town Brookhaven, or check out our inventory at BigPeachRideAndRun.com. 
And welcome back. And man, that was a great conversation. It brought back so many memories that I have um, and just the friendships that I, you know, developed um, doing these races. And and some of these folks that um, that I race with are, you know, are one of my closest friends. And, you know, what we did on these races, the way we worked together, created a bond that just made us tighter. And you know, it's, you know, you kind of start knowing who you can count on and who's got your back. And, uh, these are individuals, uh, from, you know, from my world, from, you know, that, that I just, you know, have just, oh, man, it's just, just so much gratitude and, and love and appreciation for them because of just kind of what we went through and, and, you know, to use a term that gets used a lot, you know, embracing that suck, you know, to be at those low points, um, and, and just kind of going through it and kind of helping to lift each other up because we all have those different points where we kind of go, you know, uh, to a low point where we have some strengths in some areas and some weaknesses in others. And we kind of balance uh, that team out, um, you know, uh, through our different various skill sets. So it brought back a lot of memories, uh, some fond memories, some good times, reminiscing about, uh, you know, the good old days, if I can say that. Um, and, you know, even after we hit the, the, the stop record button, you know, Jeff and I kind of talked a little bit about various different people that we had sort of kind of come across through adventure racing and, um, some familiar names and, uh, you know, it's, and that just great community. So if you're interested in, you know, participating and just are intrigued, go ahead and, and check out argeorgia.com. As I mentioned, you know, uh, you know, at, there towards the end, you know, he has got, a. a you know, videos there that are a resource, you know, AR um, 101 um, on his website that just provides videos and discussions as to how to prepare, what you need, what are the things to kind of prepare for specific, you know, races. Um, and I think, you know, it's a great introduction because when I started, as I, as we kind of mentioned, when we both, when Jeff and I both started, there wasn't a lot of information out there. This is very new. The internet was very, very um, young there wasn't a whole lot of information out there. And even then, you know, the information, if you could find it was very slow because we were all up on the old modems and dial up speed. So it just took forever to find any information. Um, but he's got that all available. Um, he's got some ultras. If you're really not into getting that deep into adventure racing, um, you know, he's got the blue Ridge ultra and a couple others, the hunters, um, you know, 100, um, endurance. And, uh, so check those out. If you're a trail runner, I think they're very challenging courses. It's piqued my interest. Um, I think I'm going to get back into trail running a little bit more seriously. I, I've done it more for enjoyment. And, uh, so I might put those races on my calendar. And then at the same time, as he mentioned, go ahead and volunteer. You know, if you really want to know a little bit more about these races and how they work and kind of do your own kind of homework and see, you know, these, uh, you know, races kind of in action, you know, volunteer, go out there, check the races out for yourself. Um, you know, like I said, I had so much fun. And if you've got a group of friends that have that same sort of type of adventure spirit, man, just go for it, man. I think it'll be really, really rewarding for you. Um, so, 
Just a reminder as well about the uh, Bearings Bike Along I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. You know, would love to have you guys out there. I'll be out there participating in the belt grinder later in the afternoon, but I'll be volunteering also in the morning. So I'll be out there all day. So stop by, say hello, you know, support this great organization, um, Bearing Bike Works. They're doing fantastic work in the community. And, uh, you know, we partner up with them and we'll be doing a lot of different things throughout the, the years, uh, you know, hopefully and, uh, you know, supporting the work that they do and complementing some of the things that we're doing as well so hope you had fun uh, on this little uh, journey uh, through adventure racing and this interesting topic that i think is going to become a, a, you know, a bit more popular i think once eco Ch- uh, challenge returns and just kind of makes it more mainstream and, and, and becomes more mainstream media and gives some more coverage to it uh, so you know jump on in and uh, hope you enjoyed that journey and the conversation and uh, we'll be back in two weeks until then remember may your best miles be those just ahead Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Big Peach Ride and Run podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.